Welcome to a new episode of Hey Siri. I'm Tom Siri, your host. Welcome, and I'm excited to have you listening in. Over 14 years ago, I starred Real Self, and that was an adventure and journey that has taken me through lots of different learnings. Many of those have been in the world of startups, but also in the world of medical aesthetics and self-care. And that's what I do in my podcast. I meet interesting guests and ask them questions about trends and vantage points they have about whether it's startups, running a business, or you know, medical aesthetics and trends within it. I hope you can find something that's worth it in these conversations and let's get going. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Hey Siri. I'm Tom Siri, your host, and I am delighted today to have a new guest. And this is Clint Carnell. Clint, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you. Truly, this is exciting. We're going to have a great conversation. You are the CEO of Hydrofacial. You've also founded and you're the chairman or executive chairman of Orange Twist. And you've had a bunch of other great career milestones. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It sounds like it's code for I've, I've gotten old, Tom, but I appreciate the compliment. You're in the right industry, man. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Well, today, first, it goes without saying that you've encountered an amazing transformation in your business and during a pandemic, no less you've found a very successful, I guess you would call it an exit for hydrofacial. And maybe that's not the appropriate word, but in the, in the parlance of startups and venture capital, that's the right term. But can you share more about your exciting news that you just broke? Yeah, thanks, Tom. It's a fantastic news for the company and for the leadership team. You know, We've been private equity owned by Linden Capital and DW the last four years of it. Fantastic owners. But several months ago, uh, Brent Saunders, the former Allegan and, and Bausch and & Lomb CEO, approached us with the SPAC vehicle that he had just taken public. And over the course of the last couple of months, we've gotten a chance to know each other and close on a transaction that's going to be transformational for Hydrofacial. And uh, I'm really excited about working with Brent and the Vesper team to unleash the Hydrofacial brand globally. Now, for those who aren't very familiar with SPACs and, and Vesper, is the intent that there will be a portfolio of brands that come together in much the way, say, Allergan had a portfolio of brands that were aggregated and used to have a single point of distribution or sale? Yeah. So in our particular, you know, SPACs can come in all different vehicles. It's a faster way to go public. I think what's unique about Vesper is obviously Brent comes not just with capital, but with expertise and a lot of success globally in aesthetics and in ophthalmology. So he was very purposeful about what he was looking to acquire. Hydrofacial fit the criteria. And he has stated public, as have I, that uh, we believe Hydrofacial is a great platform to build a great beauty health company. And so I, I think in this case, you know, we'll be going public in the first half of 2021. Hydrofacial is a really clean single product asset that, as you know, is a platform. So we've got a lot of optionality on what type of products and services we can add to this company and the relationships we've built through that community, the Hydrofacial Nation. It sounds like you're staying on board and not disappearing and going yacht shopping or something of that nature. No, everybody who knows me will not let me retire. They said I'd do great damage to the planet if that was the case. So every indication is Brent wants me to stay on board, continue building the company. CEOs always serve at the pleasure of the board, but I'm excited about partnering with him. We've had a common vision for many years, getting closer to the consumer, much like Real Self has pioneered and then bringing them into the professional channel, but more importantly, democratizing great skin health. So, so far, we're really well aligned and have the same type of vision on how to create a world-class company. That's great. Congrats again. It's just such an achievement. 
I can't underestimate the challenges that we've all encountered both in life and in business. 2020 sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, as a founder and entrepreneur, this has been 10 years packed into one and not sure it's over yet, but uh, we've been battle tested. I think we can all feel better as we exit this pandemic. There'll be many chapters and many business school books written about this period and what businesses had to do and operators like yourself. Crazy. Speaking of business schools, I was thinking about case studies and how Hydrofacial could be, should be a case study in itself and, and what you've been able to achieve with it. Can you help articulate the story of Hydrofacial from where you intercepted and where it is today? Sure. I appreciate that opportunity. It's, um, you know, I was actually brought in in July of 16. I was living in Paris, France, doing some private equity diligence work and received a call from Lyndon and DW. And uh, we hadn't worked together, but they knew of me and uh, asked me to look at several assets. One was at the time called Edge Systems. It had a product called Hydrofacial. And candidly, I was not that familiar with it. It kind of rung a bell maybe in the back of my mind somewhere. But when they sent me the pitch deck, it was really compelling to me. The product uh, was developed in 05. It had been growing at roughly 20% a year for 10 years. And what was interesting is, is it was actually very profitable. And as you know, in aesthetics, sometimes you have high growth, but low profitability. People don't protect their trademarks. They don't protect their IP. And so, you know, a lot of energy device companies don't have staying power. So you, you had a product that was nearly 10, you know, 11 years old, growing at 20%, highly profitable. And what drew my attention was it looked to me closest to Clear and Brilliant, which was my last product that I developed at Solta. And it had a good delivery system price point, you know, roughly $20,000, $25,000. The consumables were inexpensive and it was very profitable for the provider. So we did the diligence. I ran it for six months. We won the asset and they put me in, in the seat December 1st of 16, just nearly four years ago today. And then you, of course, grew it into, I would say what I've noted at Real Self, we've hosted several events that pre-pandemic, which were called House of Modern Beauty. And we were really fortunate to have Hydrofacial at our first event in Austin at the South by Southwest conference. And one thing that I got to do while being there was observe consumers, patients, customers coming in the door and really just exploring the world aesthetics. And they were drawn like moths to light with Hydrofacial and the level of satisfaction with the experience, but just the intrigue associated with was something that I, I hadn't fully understood until that moment. And then you, of course, have had your own sort of pop-ups where you've introduced consumers to this idea of having a professional advanced facial. But inherently inside of that, there's just a, an amazing story of brand building and giving consumers an experience that they will tell others about and that's something I think you've captured, correct? It didn't just happen organically. Yeah, you know, I've been in kind of consumer-facing healthcare products for quite some time. I ran Bausch Lomb's surgical division from 2000 to 2005 when LASIK was just developing. And uh, that was one of the first, you know, procedures that you went through a physician's office for consumer-facing. I joined Thermage in 05. That became Solta. And we developed Thermage, Fraxel, and Claire and Brilliant. And we learned a lot along the way. I think Cool Sculpting set a new bar you know, and direct consumer facing and companies like Real Self, like your business has been tremendous because it helps educate that consumer. Hydrofacial, I think we set up to be kind of a next generation company. And by that, 
it was all the mistakes we've made previously or the opportunities that we were too scared to take. So you know, we had a product that was around 10, 11 years old. And when I looked at the research, you know, it felt great during the treatment. People had an immediate result and it was clinically relevant because we pulled crap out of their skin and you could show it to them. Okay, that's interesting. Also cost 150 to $200, so it was approachable. So we were able to kind of jump hop traditional product problems that aesthetic products have, right? Too expensive, hurts, results aren't noticeable for a while, and then it doesn't work, right? I mean, you know that's the worth it score. That's what people ask. Does it hurt? Does it really work? Is it worth it? And I think you do a really good job of speaking plainly. So I'd love to say it was very magical, but one thing we did is we renamed the company and we just named it Hydrofacial. The brand had been out there for a while. It had good resonance with a small group of consumers and estheticians. And that seemed to make intuitive sense. We did it on May 1st, which is now Hydrofacial Day, and it took off like a wild success. We also decided how do we tell people what we do? So we simply went to three steps, 30 minutes, best skin of your life. It says something and it says nothing, but it clarifies for people. This is confusing. You know, you got me, now take care of me. And, you know, I think those two things were really, really pivotal. And then we started looking at who's our real customer. Because at that time, I had done the diligence. I didn't realize the importance of the esthetician in decisions that consumers make for their skincare needs. And over maybe a six-month period, we realized that while we were in day spas, med spas, the Four Seasons, and plastic surgeon's office, the one common thread was the esthetician. And so we decided to build our brand to speak in her voice because she, it turns out, has a great relationship with the consumer and is very influential. And so we invested in her. We found out this product was very social in nature. And so I loved your House of Modern Beauty. I just talked with an investor that was there and got a hydrofacial and uh, talked about what a great experience it was. And I can't ex exactly explain why people like showing their gunky and why they don't mind you know, talking about hydrofacial. But we just started to be intuitive and develop our own brand, our own path, as opposed to trying to follow paths that had come before us. And we can talk more about some of the remarkable things that I've, I've learned during this journey. But... We wanted to be a good corporate citizen and act like, you know, if Hydrofacial was a female and she was your friend, what characteristics would she have? How would she behave? How would she interact with others? And, and so we just tried to be this and company that works really well with everybody else and tries not to be a jerk. And I think that's worked out really well for us. Yeah, I think that recognizing that the end consumer, the end customer, the, the person experiencing the treatment is absolutely critical to the success of the business and the product. And I think for me, the strangest experience was my first trade show I went to. And I realized the entire industry put the doctor as the customer at the center. And there was literally no conversation about consumers or patients, really, in the context of how devices were being sold. Yeah. I would say you were actually at the forefront, though. If I look at real self data today, I still see there's only a few brands that have ever emerged in the category of medical aesthetics. Botox, of course, being the predominant one. But Fraxel and Thermage are two brands that have both shown up as consumers have awareness of, as well as they search by name, and they have some understanding of what it can do. So you, you clearly have some insights there that you've carried forward and evolved, of course, with Hydrofacial. Yeah. I think, you know, I learned a lot um, at Bausch Shalom. I was, a, you know, I came up through sales primarily, then marketing. Then I was, you know, when I ran the surgical group, Bausch was one of the oldest companies on the New York Stock Exchange. But the CEO came in and said, we have brand proliferation. 
we've spread our marketing dollar way too thin. And so I was part of working under a CMO, Bob Moore, that actually cleaned up, you know, literally hundreds of sub brands and started to really rebrand Valshalom and return it to its former glory. That was a really powerful lesson for a sales guy. Because, you know, as sales guys, we want a tagline and a new brand and just say it a little sexier and it'll sell itself. And I learned that, you know, if you have one marketing dollar to spend, spend it on what you're trying to get consumers or whoever your end buyer is to understand. It's frustrating through the physician channel. I mean, I, most of my best friends are surgeons or dermatologists, ophthalmologists, and they tend to get caught on their own name or, you know, making it sound cool because a lot of our customer base is male. A lot of the engineers are male. A lot of the salespeople are male. And I think we get caught up in horsepower and cylinders and torque ratios as opposed to, you know, this is a great drive and a beautiful piece of art. When you get in it, you'll feel wonderful. And I think if you look at aesthetics, as you know better than probably anybody in the world, the consumer is confused. And I think we make her and definitely him more confused. And I think the more we can do as an industry to make this simple, to become trustworthy, to speak in plain English, I think that we'll all benefit. And so with Hydrofacial, we've tried to do that. We also have a product that has characteristics that made that much easier. But, you know, building Thermage Fraxel Clear and Brilliant, the amount of letters I would send out to my friends saying, I've got to sue you if you keep bastardizing the brand. You know, I'm proud that 15 years later, Thermage Fraxel and Clear and Brilliant are, are recognized around the world. And they haven't had a ton of innovation, but they're still asked for by consumers and they have a razor blade. And that's, I think, been a very powerful driver that's, you know, I'd like to say that we did our little part to help shape up the energy device side of aesthetics because Botox has certainly done a wonderful job on the injectable side. Yeah, I, I want to get back to that conversation about how does this industry grow. But I was recently speaking to a skincare executive and she was remarking that one of the hardest part for the, the skincare product space has is to edit yourself edit down your number of formulations and, and brands and sub-brands. And because you already have one on the shelf with a doctor and why not add another and another? And it's really hard to take them away. So your comment about sort of that discipline that you learned early on is, is something I've heard echoed in the skincare space for sure. As you know, when you go through branding and there's always, there's always temptation to rebrand, but when we rename the company Hydrofacial, we created the Hydrofacial Nation to explain the community that we were building. We called our estheticians or providers hydrofacialists. We call people that love getting hydrofacials hydrofacial fanatics. So, you know, we're in a still relatively small business. I mean, you came from a, a business that was enormous, right? And if you look at what we do as an industry, we aren't broadening the appeal to this enough. And instead, we're slicing the bologna too thin. So I, I really think that we tend to think like, what's the next thing? And we'll sell it for three years, as opposed to overnight success takes 10 years. And so I would argue that hydrofacial is just now becoming reasonably well-known. And we're still only at high single digits unaided. My biggest competitor is awareness. And so if you take hydrofacial, a pretty simple product, we cleanse, we extract, we hydrate. It's 15 years old. It's not terribly complex, but we just keep pounding on consumer awareness it's a relatively unsexy, straightforward way to run your business. So it amazes me watching people go through these Houdini acts to try to differentiate relatively novel technologies. I don't think that's what the consumer is interested in. It, it is the horsepower versus cylinders. I'm a car guy. So that is awesome when people talk to me about that. But if you talk to most people in my life about, you know, horsepower and cylinders, they could give to, you know, what's 
So <laughs> I think it's being done in so many other places. I just think for some reason we are very incestuous and we seem to keep marketing the same way. And I really said just because we're on the phone, what you've done with Real Self is so differentiated. And I would count you and maybe two or three other brand builders amongst the folks that are trying to do something similar to what Hydrofacial is doing. Just make consumers aware, make it authentic, which is kind of the terrible word of 2019, but just speak plain English. And if something doesn't work, tell them it doesn't work. If it works, tell them it works and how much they should pay for it. It's pretty simple. Yelp and Open Table been doing it, right? Yeah. And you've done an amazing job helping our industry. Oh, thank you. It comes with friction. (laughs) (laughs) I've yet to receive an award from the industry for great work, but that's okay. I I think feedback like this is really appreciated. Thank you. It's, uh, It's interesting when you're talking about how teams operate. I, at one point, had to sort of do an intervention with our team where we were naming everything. You know, we couldn't help ourselves. We were naming every ad product we had with a different construct and House of Modern Beauty. And it just was this proliferation of ideas that we were trying to express. And I said, it's hard enough to land one brand, let alone a portfolio of brands with extremely limited budget. (laughs) So... It was a hard process, but our CEO, James, and I are very aligned on that, that if you go from the, just a customer empathy perspective, people are busy. They don't have time to figure out all this stuff. And if they have to read, then you've lost them. So yeah. I appreciate what you just said about that synthesis around hydrofacial and reinforcing that throughout the communication you provide. I'll tell you, Tom, I'm, I've gotten crazy about it. I mean, it sounds silly for a CEO with the company growing the way we are, but that's the one thing. I just had that conversation with my team the other day because I have a lot of new team members. People are excited again. We're globally expanding. I said, look, if it's outward facing and it's our brand and you're looking to change something for what's approved, I've got to see it. And, you know, I saw some of my newer executives like, what are you talking about? I'm like, look, it drives me nuts when the conference rooms are named different, the training programs are named different. So if the CEO can't remember what's going on, how are the consumers and the employees? I mean, we were at 540 employees before the, the world came spinning down. We're over 400 now. And we even named like our training. It's HFX, the Hydrofacial Experience. We just built our university. It's Hydrofacial Connect. I think simplicity in your messaging is really important because complexity does not do any favors to marketing. And it's amazing. I mean, I think maybe it's just uh, the older I get, the less I want to have to overthink things. But it's a powerful thing. I'm not sure it's an age thing. You know, if you think about what's changed in our world is this hyper availability of new information as well as competing brands. Heck, everything's branded now and everyone has a new angle, you know, down to single little skews like your mattress, you know, you're supposed to <laughs> your pillow, every aspect of your life, somebody's fighting to get your attention to around their new take on it. And along with just I guess, a deluge of information. So breaking out is hard. And I guess, do you foresee a day where you'll be doing mass marketing of the scale of like a Botox or does your model not support that? And it has to be more from grassroots. Part of our investment thesis working with Brent is to double our our marketing, primarily direct to consumer. I think what we found does well for the hydrofacial brand is Brick and mortar activations, whether it's the world tour where we trick out a truck and treat people for free. Last Thursday, we did a London pop-up shop. We did that in partnership with Birchbox. So they're introducing their consumers and their huge database. We're manning it and we're having some of our well-known hydrofacialists in London be there to consult and be influencers. 
So I would say that we're really efficient with our marketing dollar. Our, our customer acquisition cost is low. Lifetime value should be high if we do what we're supposed to. But I don't see any reason right now, whatever the new thing will be, brick and mortar activations with the digital marketplace and lookalike audiences is really effective for us. I mean, we've only been spending 6 to 7% of sales on marketing, 60% of that's people. And so I think doubling our investment and truly making this global and building off of what we have is really important. Um, I think what people don't realize enough and works for us, if you've never had a hydrofacial and you get a hydrofacial and we ask you, where did you find out about it? 40%, their esthetician told them to get it, but 40% of the people, they're friends. And so if you think about it as an industry, if we try to be transactional and it hurts and it's $5,000 and you can't see the results, are you going to tell your friends? So I think it's really important we make the price accessible for what it is, that we make sure it works for that price, because I think people will talk about it then. You know, I mean, I can't explain the gunky. People show the gunky on social media and you hear something around it's disgusting and amazing at the same time. I think they like the fact for 150, 200 bucks, they did something for themselves. It felt great and they're glowing. And so they're willing to go tell their friends because they feel empowered about what they did. They don't feel like they got sold a bill of goods. And so I think whatever we do, we'll try to maintain that type of ethos. We do that with Orange Twist. I mean, that was a tricky one. I, mean, I started out of, the, out of the garage and I just hated, this sounds terrible. I'm sure some of your listeners will be giving me hate mail. I don't like the term med spa. It's been so bastardized. So we tried really hard about what is Orange Twist because when I'd be doing the pitches, I just, I go med spa. I just couldn't stand saying it. And it's because I, I think we've really been loosely regulated. It hasn't been terribly ethical in some cases. The quality of service hasn't been great. So we call Orange Twist your treatment shop. And once we started doing that, people are like, oh, I get it. I come there and you take care of me. We're like, yep, whatever you need, we're there to help you in that journey. Whether you're just coming in for a hydrofacial and some medical grade skincare from ZO, or you're thinking about plastic surgery, and maybe we need to get you prepped with your options between non-invasive and surgery. So I think taking a very customer-centric focus and trying not to be transactional, but be relationship-oriented over the journey is, for me, it's been working as a business model more you know, more exponential growth than I would have thought just from that simple concept of trying to be a good trusted advisor as a brand and to have a relationship just like you were a good friend. Because think about if we treat our friendship like that. Hey, I did something good. You owe me. That wouldn't work. You wouldn't have friends like that. And so we tried to be more of a female brand that people trust. And I think that that goes through both the brands that I'm associated with. It's intriguing to think about where the trends sit on brands like yours. And I, I'll use Invisalign as an example. And and where many of these companies end up is they realize that they need to control the experience. It's not just from pure financial reasons, but to deliver that experience the right way, they basically vertically integrate and start offering the service themselves and go into competition basically with their their customers, their distribution. And you see that in many, many spaces. What do you think about that for hydrofacial? I know it would be controversial for you to say, to all of your base, oh yeah, we will probably have our own stores in you know every city in America. But is that what's going to be required for you to really have that relationship you describe? It's a good question. I think there's going to be a lot of different business models. As you know, this macro trend in the last 15 years, these personal care services, self-care, whatever we want to categorize what we do, it's here to stay. It's enormous. So I think there's going to be a huge wave for all of us to ride. I think you're right in the backyard there of one of my favorite brands, and that's Starbucks. I mean, I grew up in, outside of Seattle. When I got out of university in Durham, North Carolina, I drove eight miles to go to a Starbucks. It's hard to think of them being on every corner. And when you think about Starbucks, they made coffee, you know, an experience, right? 
They made their locations another area for you to meet or work or just relax. And, you know, it's not unusual now to buy a Starbucks on your way using your app, go to the grocery store, buy some there, get some K-cups and take them to the office with you. So I think what's most important to me wherever HydroFacial goes is that whatever we're doing with the consumer feeds into the professional and whatever the professional is doing naturally gravitates back to the home for the consumer. I think if we do that and we establish brands much like Starbucks has, much like I think Lululemon's done a great job with their activations. You know, if you look at Peloton building a strong community, you put people in that group together, the professional cyclist that's teaching you, you know, someone you respect. I think this idea of building a community of people that have a like interest or passion is really powerful. How you deliver that service is going to depend upon the business model. But I, I could see helping physicians and med spas provide better services, learning more about hospitality, helping to set up all the operating systems. I mean, Orange Twist, we had to do from scratch. I just saw Zenodi. I just got a note that uh, we use Zenodi there in Seattle and, and just valued over a billion dollars. We, we work with the, the team. It's incredible. When you start a med spa chain, if you want to do more than one location, there's no systems that exist. There's no marketing that exists. There's no training that exists. So if you think about how far we have to go, it's like burgers before McDonald's or coffee before Starbucks. We're really early innings. And I think when I saw in LASIK, as some of the companies came in and built their own LASIK centers, the access to LASIK really exploded, but also all the physicians' business went up. So I think we need to think about awareness. We need to think about the consumer getting trust in this. And so I don't see these things as win-lose. I see them as win-win. So if we were able to ever to vertically integrate, I think we'd do it in the interest of making sure that all boats were to rise in a high tide. But it, it makes intuitive sense to me when you think about it relative to other businesses. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to think that the medical aesthetics space, and I myself struggle with that definition, you know, kind of like med spa, I'm like, should we even be calling us medical aesthetics? But let's put that aside for a moment. But, you know, it's roughly a $15 billion industry. And, you know, meanwhile, skincare is 150 billion or in that neighborhood. And it just like, what are the barriers that are keeping the space from growing into that size? Because the demand and interest in aesthetics is there. Mm -hmm. And yet it's not being fulfilled. And you've mentioned several things like price, pain, trust, there's barriers. Are there other things that you think need to happen for the industry to truly mainstream? Convenience. You know, when, uh, when Grant and I, Dr. Stevens, when we did our first Orange Twist, I actually hired the architects, tech that did the last Starbucks redo. And I kind of chickened out. I chose a ground floor location just off of Main Street. Because truthfully, even though we were out there, I mean, Grant and I thought a couple things. One is, why is aesthetics not bigger? And the first one, it's not convenient. You know, it's, it's not where mom and dad are. So why don't we build our orange twists out in these pockets of wealth? You know, don't necessarily go to downtown Seattle where everybody works, go to Bellevue. That was one thing. And then why not make them where mom and dad already are in there? Is it on the way to golf, on the way to the school? Is it when they're buying, you know, from Whole Foods? Are they at yoga? You know, are they at the gym? Like, why not? These are lifestyle choices. Why not put them next to lifestyle locations? And then what about if as opposed to being physician-centered, we were consumer-centered and we trained the staff like that. And then the last piece, which was important, is, you know, if you're a nurse, a PA, an NP, or an esthetician, you don't have a lot of career path. You know, you get out of school, you go to work, and you see people rotate between physicians' offices their whole career. It's flat. And if you think about the careers you and I have, you get a chance to go up and you learn from people. You get mentored. So the last piece we've done is we've taken employee development 
and providing a career and a professional work environment very seriously as well. So we have a credo, we have values, we have quarterly meetings, we do Zoom calls, we have incentive plans that are based upon not just how much you sell, but also how you're acting and behaving with the client base. So I think, you know, we've got to make these treatments more convenient where the consumer is. We've got to make them more accessible from a price point. And then we've got to train the people providing these services on how to set expectations to sell and to perform the treatment that we can create a recurring revenue stream because people want to get these done. And in the end, we talk about an orange twist that we sell trust and confidence. We don't sell Botox or hydrofacial or fillers. We sell trust and confidence because everybody's coming to you for a reason. We even have a campaign called Because. It's because of the high school reunion, because of the college reunion, because of pictures of my daughter's wedding, because I'm going through divorce, because I'm going to get married again. So people are coming to us in a very like, you know, concerned state, something's bugging them. And so you take them at a vulnerable and you make that transactional. That seems really antithema to me, this successful business. So we spent a lot of time on the consultation. It's amazing how your ASP goes. I'll give you a stat. If you're not on the Citrus Club, which is our membership, you spend like $3,100 with us in a year. If you're on the Citrus Club membership, you spend $5,700 to $5,800. So this thing of getting in a relationship isn't just like some kind of kooky, you know, sit around in a circle and chant thing. It makes good business sense because if you can acquire the customer once, that's your most expensive thing. Keep them. They become highly profitable and they're happier. So it's it's a basic business formula for whatever reasons escaped a lot of aesthetics. Yeah, the price point is intriguing to me. I think there's a there's another side of it that we see at Real Self, which is the the actual price transparency is missing. And I've often been in front of doctors and said something unpopular like, you know, imagine you're on Airbnb trying to plan your next vacation and every single listing didn't have a price and just said, click to contacting to felt form and hopefully you get feedback in a couple of days on availability and price. And so this missing piece is what is really not just something that is serving the real self-interest. It's something that we hear over and over again. And doctors do too. They're exhausted by how much does it cost? How much does it cost? And they've even named shoppers tire kickers. And, you know, probably the only industry in America that sells direct to consumers that hates shoppers. (laughs) So and finds them to be um, pesky. Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm. I'm just curious if you would take it that far in terms of when you said there's a price barrier. Do you agree there's a transparency problem? And if so, what would you advise doctors if they were in front of you now? Yeah, well, we've actually done something I think pretty unique this year. People didn't realize it during the pandemic, but you know, a lot of our serums are cosmetic. So we've actually started where a consumer, so if, if Tom Siri develops a relationship with a hydrofacial company, you can go on and book an appointment and pay for the service, but you can buy the serum directly from us, right? If you think about it, doctors really don't want to buy inventory from the hydrofacial company or any of the other companies. They want revenue, right? They want income for themselves and their families for their practice. So we're trying to drive more consumers into our professional sites, and we're trying to give transparency to the consumer on what the product cost is, and then the provider can take care of their service cost. So our view is like, let's turn the world of aesthetics upside down a little bit. What about if we focus our efforts on getting more people to know about hydrofacial, getting them to their provider faster, and giving them the ability to already make the purchasing decision on the serum so then they pay for the service. 
And we say that's delivering beauty health solutions whenever, wherever, and if we do it right, forever. And so we've just taken a really strong stance with our physician community, which is still two thirds of our community. Like with our relationship with Sephora, I received a couple calls when that launched, but I'm like, you understand, my 19 year old daughter is not going to see you for 30 years, but she's going to be at Sephora. And if she can get a perk by hydrofacial that turns her on to, hey, that hydrofacial thing, when she's 27, maybe she's at a day spa, they talk her into a hydrofacial. And then when she's 35, she's in the med spa. And when she's 45, she'll be in your office. And we want that brand to help guide her through the journey. And um, I think that's what we miss. We tend to, you know, it's the classic if if you're a hammer, all the world's a nail, right? And we just tried to take an approach that the consumer is at a different point in the journey. And I know you know this from your research, but when we look at hydrofacial, every consumer wants cleanse, extract, and hydrate. Those three words show up in their bubble. The difference in a 19-year-old and a 55-year-old when they get a hydrofacial, the 19-year-old wants an experience. The 55-year-old wants a result. And so when you look at the pricing and the generational attitudes, that's the only difference. So Sephora is an experience. When you go in there, that's probably not a better team at customer experience on the planet in our business. It's energy. It's visually stimulating. There's lots of technology. And we get to participate in that experience. But if you're at the plastic surgeon's office, it's probably like me now. I'm 51. I'm looking myself on Zoom. And I was talking to one of my friends the other day, a plastic surgeon said, look, these eyes are 10 years older than the rest of the place because there's something you can do for me, right? But I wouldn't be thinking that at 25, just like you don't think about Botox as a male until you're in your 40s. So I think we're just... We keep developing products and shoving it down the consumer's throat as opposed to trying to listen to them. And I, I think when I look at a real self, you see those comments in there. It's, I mean, you've laid out the chessboard for everybody. It just depends on if people want to sit down and, and see how it plays itself out. Yeah. And, you know, one person who actually paid attention and really centered on that aspect of what are consumers saying was Mark Foley over at uh, Cool Sculpting, you know, Zeltique. And he and I got introduced through the fact that people were dissatisfied at, you know, saying dissatisfied aspects of their experience with cool sculpting and that intrigued him and made him dig in and learn more. And I've had maybe three CEOs in the entire world of aesthetics talk to me about reviews and what can they learn and what is it that we believe is the reason that some consumers are dissatisfied, but that's just three. <laughs> so. You know, Mark, look, Mark's done a great job and is a, one is he's, he's a great CEO, but a great guy. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny, um, you know, at Solta, I think we did some groundbreaking things and a lot of our team left. I left in 11, a lot of them went over to Cool Sculpting. You know, Mark and I hadn't known each other, but I was so impressed when he committed to Cool Sculpting University, it's something we had never taken the time to do. We built a, a state-of-the-art clinic. I think we did a lot of really good marketing. We did the Illumination Tour, which was the original kind of go out there and, and, and do social media. So I was proud of things we did at Solta. But after I started Orange Twist, I actually attended Cool Sculpting University. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. That's a branding event. That has nothing to do with training. You get the training, but you walk away. And I was wearing blue Cool Sculpting t-shirts. So when we came to Hydrofacial, you know, I told Mark, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to take a page out of your playbook and supercharge it. And so HFX was definitely modeled after CSU and give Cool Sculpting team a lot of credit. I think we've supercharged it. You know, we've got HFX centers all over the U.S., all over the world. We've popped up Hydrofacial Connect, which is a full online university. I think we'll be the largest educator and deployers of estheticians. We've done what they've done, I think, in a lot of ways. And then also I, I watched Botox and just how hard it is to unseat a brand that's recognized by the consumer. And so the purposefulness of Hydrofacial was you can pick any name. 
just really double down on it and be consistent. So when I looked at Botox and Cool Sculpting, I would say in our category, those are two brands that help define what hydrofacials tried to do. So we don't we don't have to figure it all out. You know, there's some smart people that come before us. And I think what Pyatt and Brent Saunders and all the teams around them have done with Botox has been incredible. It's like 100% awareness. You can end up in Uganda and people know what it is. And uh, Cool Sculpting, given the product, I think has really gotten a lot of traction. And Mark did a great job with that. Yeah, as we're talking about cool sculpting, I was thinking about in the energy space, in particular fat reduction, there's been some innovation there. And one of the things that I've always scratched my head is the price point for a series of treatments and how it really starts competing with that Peloton bike you mentioned, Peloton earlier, and where I could actually make that choice of like, hmm, do I want a Peloton bike and a subscription for a year or this new treatment thing that I've heard some things that's kind of painful, potentially painful, but you know, takes off some, but not all. And so I, I guess, do you think in the case of saying the fat reduction space, it's a problem or opportunity for more innovation, more effectiveness, or more creativity around the price point? Or do you think things are going well there and that space is being well addressed? Or when we started Orange Twist, originally we were going to be a cool sculpting only shop. And interestingly, what I found out, you know, eight months into it is costs you a lot of money to go get that first consumer. And then they only show up once that year. So it's kind of one and done. And so that's, we actually became a full service treatment shop because I didn't think it was a sustainable business model. I think cool sculpting works well. I get it done. But I think in my view, it's too expensive to expand to a mass audience. The average orange twist customer for a, a treat to transformation will get six to eight cycles. You know, that's three to five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And it's a modest result. It works well, but as, as you know, it's a modest result. I think I was looking at your site the other day, it's like still an 86% worth it, which is great. But it can be worth it by the people who can afford it, but more people need to be able to afford it. And I think there's a couple complicating things in traditional medical aesthetics because I keep getting approached for the next cool sculpting, and people are saying, why doesn't hydrofacial take that on? And I get these business models where the equipment's going to cost $150,000 and the consumables are going to be four to $500 and you need five or six of them. And to me, that just is it's not a good business model because, you know, I own almost 50 cool sculpting machines. Do I want to spend $6 million to swap out all my cool sculpting machines? And so I think the problem is you've got equipment that's too expensive, which means when a doctor buys it, everybody that comes in, he tells the staff or she tells staff, find fat on them because I need to pay off that machine. So think about how bizarre that is. Yeah. And so you get a lot of pressure on the consumer. That's why, you know, when these new lasers come out, we sometimes destroy the market before it even has a chance to get off the ground. And then it's too expensive for the consumer. I know myself, I mean, you know, I make decent money as a CEO. I stay out of the suit department because when I go there, I get talked into suits. So I just stay away. And I think there's a lot of consumers that say, man, I'm not going to talk to a med spa XYZ or Dr. Smith, because they're going to sell me a $5,000 treatment again. It's just not that many people can afford it on a recurring basis. By the way, if you're buying suits often, then you, you need to come up the Pacific Northwest, get re, re, that's true. Yeah, can, <laughs> re-acclimated to what it's, what, where your roots are. That's true. No, mine's, mine's jeans and sports jackets. So that's, that's been my uniform for almost 17, 18 years now. Yeah. And you know what? The, you're, you're right, though, on the what we hear from many times talking to our audience uh, real self has been this sense that I'm seen as a credit card swipe is the fear or experience they've had. 
And I know they have the laser back there that, of course, they paid a lot of money for, and they're going to want me to get a treatment, whether I need it or not, or if that's the best possible treatment for me. And so there is a very healthy or maybe unhealthy dose of skepticism and sophistication, I guess, of the customer and really does know that end user really does know a lot and understands the business pressures that uh, practices under. I don't think it's that different, Tom. I, I have never met a female in my life that likes going car shopping, ever. And I think we really need to take a close look at if we have that same effect with medical aesthetics. I mean, I think we look at our super consumers and we know who they are and the people that educate themselves on this, they have plenty of money. And, and so I think the lens that a lot of times as industry and as physicians we view as is like everybody knows about this. And, you know, I did work for Covidian, which founded the idea of starting Orange Twist. And basically it said, uh, and you already know this, but if there's a, a hundred consumers that all should be getting these treatments and you screen out Botox, basically eight hands go up. Have you heard of any of these treatments by name? You describe what these treatments are capable of doing for the individual, 86 hands go up. Mm-hmm. Then you say, who has a dermoplastic? 14 hands stay up. And you say, who wants to go to the dermoplastic for those treatments? And most of the hands go down. And so I think, you know, we've got to get better at meeting the consumer and helping them understand and educate them before we transact with them. Because I think there is a little bit of the car buying experience there. It's like, they're going to confuse me. I'm not sure if I'm getting a good price. They're going to hard sell me. The physicians that are very successful, I'm in the consultation room with them a lot as I'm doing visits. They're awesome. They may have a really strong ego, be very successful, but when they're in the treatment room, and they're doing the consultation. They make that consumer feel like a million bucks. They're thoughtful about the way they educate them. I mean, I know as you do most of the KOLs that have successful businesses, that common thread is they truly do care about their consumer, their patient. They're really good at explaining it and they keep them in their practice for a long time. I don't know any one and done successful KOLs. They all have a common thread of caring about their consumer, explaining it well, and really caring about that long-term relationship. And I, I, that's the best ones that I see. And we could probably put the 10 to 20 of them on, on the same napkin, but they all are like that in the treatment room. Yeah, it's oftentimes the questions like, oh, how do I get big on Instagram? And I, I say, the first thing is you have to be really excited and passionate about sharing your expertise and knowledge. And you have to love what you're doing. If you're faking it, you will not make it. I think it's weird too, like particularly plastic surgery. Are you surprised that that didn't mean to interrupt you there? there you go. No, no. Like seeing kind of graphic surgeries now and kind of pushing the envelope on provocative aesthetics to me. I'm like, wow, man, that's going the wrong way. I thought we kind of had been working our way out of that. Yeah, we did a the early days of the business. We put a room of women together. I guess you'd call that a focus group, but we couldn't afford <laughs> to hire a marketing agency. But and have them watch a video, a short video of what a tummy tuck really looks like. And these are all women who were interested in tummy tucks. Every single one of them said, now that I saw that, I'm never going to get one done. (laughs) So we're like, oh, interesting. There is a threshold of transparency or awareness that I don't know where it sits exactly. And certainly there's doctors who've like pimple poppers and stuff who've gotten in extremes that seems to attract a lot of attention. But I'm with you. I... I think ultimately there's a a really healthy pragmatism that, yes, I know there's going to be pain. I know there's going to be some elements of it that aren't aren't so pleasant. And I want to understand those at a high level, but I don't need it pushed in my face. Yeah. 
Look, and there's examples out there, right? Whether you look at Carvana, mm-hmm. you know, transparent pricing and delivered right to you. You know, Netflix was a subscription based, right? It was as many DVDs as you wanted. Originally, people forget that. Starbucks, pretty much same price all around the world. Right now, you've got the app. You've got transparency there. You can customize it. You know, you've got Peloton, which creates the community. The bike pretty much costs everybody the same and the subscription's the same and you get the same access a billionaire does. And I think consumers, when you look at the Generation Z and millennials, they have a very, people forget millennials are 43 years old now. They have a lot of discretionary purchasing power and they've redefined how companies need to engage. I tell our team all the time, we don't sell products, we don't sell services, we sell transformational experiences. And so when we engage with our estheticians and our consumers, it's really meaningful. The reason we spend so much money training our estheticians is if the MPS score, if you get a hydrofacial and your esthetician is not great, it's like, eh. It's pretty good, but my med spa is always pimping me on something. The esthetician knows what she's talking about, passionate, walks them through, shows them the gunky. NPS scores become Disney-like. So we invest in our esthetician. We're also teaching her about selling, marketing, better hospitality, how to read a PL, how to run her business and marketing on social media. So we find that if we can create better estheticians, NPs, PAs, whoever the service provider is, our products will do better because the consumer... Is like, wow, where's that been all my life? As opposed to, eh, I think I got taken. And I, I just, it's so subtle, but I, I know that you see that in the data that Real Self provides. Yeah, we see it mostly concentrated in the Arnett Promoter Score is most dramatically affected by the experience the person has as they cross the transom from Real Self to that front desk. And that's the most challenging part for us because unfortunately the number has been stubborn and stuck at a very amazingly, it takes the average practice 28 hours to respond to an inquiry. Oh. I, my advice, and I'm just, uh, I'm not sure who exactly is going to be our audience for this show, but hopefully uh, there'll be some practices listening and doctors. And it just like, just listen to what's happening on that exchange of information at the front desk and that experience, because that's where it all starts and also stops for so much of the industry. And I was bringing up barriers as a issue earlier. And I think the barriers, the least invested space is the greeter for your business, for your practice is quite stunningly, you know, and it's not their fault. There's too much being asked of that one point person. Anyway, that's my soapbox. <laughs> I, t- I totally agree, Tommy. Whether it was Bausch and Lomb days where we had the resources and we really studied that, we did it Solta and we have a hydrofacial that, I mean, as you know, that front end person, they should be one of the highest paid, not the lowest paid. And often nobody cares. They're not trained. They just sit them down at the phone. So, you know, we originally decentralized for Orange Twist and now we brought it back in, but we still centralize it. But then they have to build relationships to out there because the hard part is, you know, you've got to pay. It's like a hostess, right? At a restaurant, you've got somebody complaining up front, somebody trying to book an appointment, right. somebody's kids running around. And then this person's supposed to be totally cool and be able to answer all these questions of, of a sophisticated nature. They're medical procedures. So I think it's really broken. And, you know, it's funny. I think you and I have always been not controversial, but, you know, we say things that maybe aren't popular when you sit in front of a group of physicians or maybe even industry. And I always tell people, look, I don't care if you listen or not. You asked why it's going well. And I just told you we look through the consumer's lens because that benefits our customers. Our customers are physicians. Our customers are PAs and MPs. And I want you to make more money. I want you to have happy patients. And I want us to have a great relationship. So I'm not going to be unapologetic looking at through the view and sharing what I see in other service-oriented businesses. Because I think 
healthcare is broken in terms of where we place attention on service and hospitality. And it's that simple. I mean, I, for years at Shalom, doctors say, how do I like Dr. Famous? And, you know, after enough cocktails, I'd say, stop being an asshole. I was with Dr. Famous. She's amazing and a nice person when she's in her office. She teaches staff great. Her staff's amazing. They treat their patients great. And that's why she's making millions. And that's why you're asking me. I was with you today and you were a jerk to your staff. And so they're jerks to the customer. I mean, you can tell a physician by meeting their front end receptionist, right? Mm-hmm. You can in any business. I talk a lot about at Hydrofacial. We can do all the fancy marketing, activation events, develop new products. But in the end, our NPS score is not good if we don't train the esthetician and if she's not passionate. I do every HFX open. I say, you want to make more money? Mostly ladies. You want to make more money this year? All the hands go up. I say, great, be nice. <laughs> if you want to make a lot more money, be passionate Yeah. and yeah. know your skill, know your trade. And they're like, that's it. I'm like, that's it. Half a life is just showing up, being pleasant, being passionate and knowing what you're doing. And that's just incredible that, you know, think about how much potential revenue and profits are in our business because everybody wants this once they know about it. Very few people get it. And the ones that get it, they don't get a second or third service. That's a bigger problem. It means that our transaction is not good. Yeah, It means somehow we screwed up chocolate, right? Like after you eat chocolate the first time, you're like, I want more of that. And we've got to get a better continuum of care and service in that consumer's mind, in my, in my view. Clint Carnell, thank you so much for being on Hey Siri today. And my audience, of course, probably has, has many more questions or at least wants to learn more about your business. What do you recommend for them to either connect with you or, or to learn more about Hydrofacial? Yeah, thanks, Tom. This is great. Always a pleasure to talk with you. So hydrofacial.com, you can find a bunch of information on our company. And Clint at Hydrofacial will respond. So I obviously have a LinkedIn. I'm not terribly active on Instagram or Facebook, but uh, my LinkedIn, I'd love to have uh, your listeners follow and I'd love to follow them back because we're all in this together and it's a wonderful business we're in. And if 2020 hasn't taught us anything, it's we need to take care of ourselves and those we love. So I look forward to creating more, uh, more hydrofacial enthusiasts out there. That sounds great. Thank you again. Cool. Thanks, Tom. The best way to reach me is just send an email to heysiri at realself.com. That's H-E-Y-S-E-E-R-Y at realself.com. We look at every single message that comes in and respond. And if you have feedback that's positive, love it. Challenges, even better. Want to be a guest, even more delightful. So please get in touch with us. Want to know more from our audience and what's working, what's not.